welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, hey, hey. What's up, everybody? It's uh, Knock On Podcast time once again, and I got none other than deep breathing, hot breath, hot and heavy, Dr. Roddy <laughs> McGee. <laughs> People, for some reason, get the, the deep, hot and heavy breathing going on whenever they start their podcast. It's it's a common thing. I don't know if they're, if they're nervous about literally talking to about 15 people or... <laughs> or or what? It's quite a bit more than that, actually. But how's everything going, dude? Things are going well. Thank you. Yeah, I'll try not to deep breathe into the phone this time. <laughs> it's gonna. Yeah, now there's a two second delay before you talk back because you're like purposely turning your head four feet away from your phone. Well, I'm also trying to be conscious of not completely talking over the top of you every time you start to speak. Do it. I like it. I like it. We uh, we ha- we've had we've had some pretty good times. It's been. Uh, when was my first treatment with you? Was it two two years ago? Mm-hmm. Now? I want to say it was 2016. Yep. Yep. Okay. So it was two years ago, and um, and then you got into archery. We can talk about that a little bit later, and started shooting, and then um, you know I I ended up. Uh, coming back and having you review some stuff again and then um you know each time we hang out we come better and better friends now our wives are pretty much uh they're like taking over this relationship here (laughs) i mean your wife was talking all sorts of nonsense at the the dinner we were having she she thought that the girls yeah she was throwing down some challenges yeah she thought the girls could collectively team up and outsmart and win against me you and rogan in a real hunger games (laughs) competition (laughs) like what in the hell did you see sharon's face when she like said that to us and she looked at sharon she's like we could take them right and sharon's like she's like i am i am totally gonna wave the white flag and go over to the guys team immediately (laughs) i do not want any part of that I had completely erased from my memory the uh, the Hunger Games factor. Oh yeah! I mean, I knew I knew there was some kind of hunting slash archery combination that. Uh, it, my wife is funny because she really feels that she can do anything, especially competitively and athletically. Um, and she completely eliminates the fact that, of like. She's never once shot a compound bow from the fa- from the equation. I, right? lo- so I, she's I just love. I love like it. whatever. I'll I'll figure it out, and I'll still dominate you. I lo- it's pretty funny. I love it. Yeah, she was she was passionate about. You know, if it came down to it, we would take you out. And Sharon's looking around like, I'm gonna climb in a tree and kind of watch this go down. And then when it's all said and done, I'm just gonna keep keep stay alive, but just kind of hang out in the guys right. side of the camp <laughs> your wife who has actually shot quite a bit and oh yeah hunted and done these things yeah i wouldn't want her shooting at me for sure like i wouldn't want her <laughs> you know i would have to 
pull out the puppy eyes and be like, babe, and hope that she didn't uh, pull hard on that silverback and put one in my lungs. <laughs> so yeah, well, that, was, that was pretty funny. That well, was good times. yeah, we've we've become good friends, <clears throat> and then actually uh, this past trip. Sharon's been struggling with her her hip, IT band, and I forgot what the heck the other thing was. Did she have tendonitis that had set in in her in her gluteus minimus? Is that right or something? There might have been some of that. You know, she really just it seemed like she had a muscle strain that was just really nasty and and wasn't wanting to settle down. So it's and you know from her side of it, it sounded like she was trying everything possible. Oh yeah. In terms of stretching, strengthening, all the kinds of uh, sort of self-massage type techniques with foam rollers and everything you can do, and and she was just struggling. Yeah, because the IT band is a pretty vicious um, injury for athletes, and they say you don't really want to you don't really want to directly rub on the actual IT band itself. So it's a uh, she's. I mean, it, it was. It pretty much just took away any type of ability for her to work out and stuff for almost a year. It's been uh, it, it's been terrible. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, well, for everyone listening, I might as well give you a quick little rundown here. Um, so, Doctor McGee is in Vegas, uh, works at Tor- Total Sports Medicine and Orthopedics, um, and you have an awesome practice and i'm fortunate that that rogan actually hooked us up um during you know two years ago because i was battling i was battling an injury that was detrimental detrimental to my archery and everyone knows about my shoulder injury but the shoulder injury a lot of times when labrums go out like that and the tears happen like that the pain isn't near as bad as like what I was having in my in my right arm um, from. That's no, interesting. Yeah, it just it kind of like it was. It did hurt a lot once the uh, like once I got the frozen shoulder part and my body started to really mm. guard, guard it and I it wasn't moving properly. Um, and obviously, there's there's some there's some pain that you go through during rehab after the type of surgery that I went through. Um, but when it comes to just day-to-day stuff, um, my ability to hold my right hand in like a hammer-type position, so anything that involved my fist forward, elbow at 90 degrees, up to a curl position, but with my hand in a neutral position, so I was almost in a hammer position, anything that did that, whether I was holding my bow on a hunt, whether I was carrying a jug of milk uh, from my car into the refrigerator with, you know, groceries or trying to pack out, you know, me on a hunt. I mean, it was killing me and, uh, you know, arm day curls and stuff were just non-existent unless I was completely supinated and like had my pinky inverted as far out as I possibly could and just didn't. Can you maybe, can you like draw some pictures of this or, cause I'm, even I got a little bit lost there. What do you mean? Which part? 
I'm just joking around, but <laughs> I understand you know, you're getting in certain positions and it was driving you nuts and you had to make adjustments and not, you couldn't do your natural, uh, position, uh, because of the pain you were having. Yeah. Any type of curl that you weren't, where your palms weren't facing straight up towards your face. You know, if my, if sure. my palms were facing towards one another, those positions, my, the two spots gotcha. on my bicep where it went down and then the, then there was one spot on my upper forearm too, wasn't it? If I remember, where uh, yeah, where basically your distal bicep tendon. You know the the biceps muscle everybody is pretty familiar with, but the tendon actually goes down and attaches further down on your forearm than people would think about. Uh, so it goes down maybe as much as four centimeters from that fold in your skin when you bend your elbow. So it attaches to a bump on the radius. And it's a common injury that I see, especially like our age group, you know, guys that are active, but not as young as we uh, wish we were and still want to do all the same stuff. But somebody grabs a hold of something heavy and pulls with a lot of force um, and at the right speed. And, and I take care of a lot of distal biceps ruptures that that tendon just gets popped right off. But you were having a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, wear and tear on that tendon not even i wouldn't even really call it a partial tear um because it wasn't any more than 10 percent of it uh but that can be nasty and give you a lot of pain in the forearm give you you know difficulty with doing some of your activities for sure yeah pulling and then you had that nasty spot that was more above the elbow Mm -hmm. uh, and and deep yeah um yeah, and you you actually so, drove that. You, you hit a home run on that one too. I remember, like, I don't think you could have possibly got those stem cells any closer to the dead center of that pissed off spot because that thing started yeah. twitching and quivering like I've never felt. I mean, it was like you're like, am I close? I'm like, dude, <laughs> you, you are so in the middle of all the action right and now. And I didn't. I didn't know you that well then, and I'm looking at you like you were making a face, like thinking, "Man, is this guy gonna punch me in the mouth." For me? Yeah, well, I was trying to be cool because Joe plays it so freaking cool. I was like, "Well, I can't. I gotta be somewhat cool." But um, just to, just to get back on track a little bit, um, you've got a really really impressive resume, and you've got a lot of background in sports, especially baseball. You were a baseball nut. Um, but you've you work with a ton of really high level athletes now. I know you guys are doing you know I, the times where I've been in there either with myself or with Joe or with Sharon. Um, definitely, you're definitely working on UFC guys right now like crazy, um, which is awesome. But you know you're really um, continually, I guess, making headway with stem cell research and you know different types of non-surgical, I guess, um, methods of, I guess, rebuilding the body. I, I mean, cause it, I don't really, when this stuff works the way that I've seen it and the way Sharon's experiencing right now, and even with Joe's shoulder, which I'll let you talk about later. Um, it's, it's like something from Tron. I told you that I'm like in Tron where he just like moved some stuff around and the girl's arm just like kind of rebuilt itself. I mean, it's really not that far off of that type of thing. Is it? I mean, we're not quite there. Not yeah. Quite there. 
but yeah, we're working on it in the lab for sure. Well, um, <clears throat> do you want to give a background to kind of what really where where all of this started, where it's going, and then also I think one concern that I see constantly from people is you know where the stem cells are derived from. I think there's a big misconception there. Seems like some extremist kind of you know I think sure. the I think the uh, you know the abortion crowd is uh, you know dead set against some of this stuff just because of um, different things they've heard about where some of it comes from. Um, so I mean, just to clarify that from your practice's point of view too, and I guess talk through it. I'll let you I'll let you go for it for a little bit, and then I'd like to jump into some of these questions that people made on a post that I made yesterday showing my progress after my first session with you sure so that was uh a bunch of questions uh together so i'll try to break that down a little bit the first thing is uh my background is orthopedic surgery um and so i did i went to medical school i did a five-year orthopedic surgery residency training program and then i did an additional year of training in sports medicine injuries uh, at the American Sports Medicine Institute in Birmingham, Alabama, with uh, Larry Lemack. And uh, so that's kind of where I got my, you know, foundation for our approach to sports medicine. Um, and a big focus of our attention was on return to play. And so things that we, you know, it, it's basically the primary uh, question in sports when an injury occurs is, okay, what is it and how soon can the guy be back? So a lot of our time and attention was spent on that. Now, there's a whole bunch of things in orthopedics that we treat that either the outcomes aren't as perfect as we wish, or there are things that we take care of where there may be five or more treatments currently that are accepted as treatments. Well, anytime you see something where there's five options, you know that none of them are great because if one of them was, then everybody would just do that one thing. So uh, I think, you know, backing up to one of your other questions about um, or just statements about taking a non-surgical approach, I mean, we definitely recognize that there are things that we can treat non-operatively. We can do well with a number of things with physical therapy and sometimes anti-inflammatory medication. And now we sort of have this new category of biologics um, that has come into sports medicine. And there's certainly a lot of questions to be answered. And uh, even on my part, some skepticism about what it is we're seeing and what we're getting um, and how and why it's working. Um, but there's, a number of things that we take care of that clearly have a benefit with surgery. And so the way I'm looking at biologics and, and this whole category, and that includes the PRP and uh, amniotic fluid and all the various uh, ways that we can derive stem cells. And we'll talk about that so we get clarification on it. But <clears throat> we're really looking at it as, you know, when can you use it instead of surgery? When is it appropriate as an augmentation to our surgeries to either get a better outcome or um, less chance of a repeat injury. And then, you know, when can we use it post-surgery and, and how can we use it even in a preventative fashion? So we've started to kind of look at that, um, that potential as well. 
Yeah. So, um, this is, it's, it's amazing how, um, you know, it really started as our introduction to biologics. Um, and we were using other categories of biologics with our surgeries before, whether it's adding bone graft, you know, to help a fracture heal or, you know, a number of different things like that. Um, but the kind of the non-operative stuff, uh, began with PRP. I got introduced to that in probably 2009, um, is when we started having the guys that I was training with were using it and mostly for tennis elbow, for example. Uh, and they were just impressed with how well patients were doing compared to what they had done previously, which was either a steroid injection or a surgery, um, or, you know, a counterforce brace, which is like the strap that you see people wear on their forearm when they're dealing with tennis elbow. Um, and so that was kind of the introduction to it. Then people started looking at, you know, can we get better healing with adding it to rotator cuff repair, for example, and, and a whole bunch of the, the data that was coming back was very disappointing. So the, um, the, the difficult part about analyzing a lot of that research was that people were using so many different kinds of techniques and protocols and machines to spin the blood to get the PRP that it was hard to sort of sort out, you know, what was valuable information and what wasn't. So there was a group of people that felt that, oh, you know, this data is terrible. You know, people that are using this are not, you know, helping their patients. They're just, you know, using this stuff that really doesn't have any value. Uh, the people that were seeing benefit in their patients were saying, you know, that study may say this, but I know this, this patient's coming back to me telling me they're happy and they're feeling better. And they're saying that having tried all the other things that are available, but now that they've tried this and it helped them. So, and that's been my experience with a lot of these newer things with stem cells. And there's still a whole bunch of folks saying, um, you know, there's no research and, you know, there's no evidence of this. And, and it's true that there are no large scale randomly controlled trials, you know, with placebos and long-term follow-up and all that, all the kinds of things that would make for a high quality study. That is true. Absolutely. However, there's a lot of data and information that has been published. So anybody that says that there's nothing just really needs to, you know, open some journals and, and start reading because there is a lot of information. And now there's information literally at every conference that we go to for orthopedic surgery. So it's a hot topic. It's everybody has their interest and attention on it. Um, we're all kind of wading into it cautiously, but for, in my case, for example, we've just had a lot of patients that are interested that have tried a lot of other conventional treatments and, and want to see how they can do. And because we know it's safe, uh, we can go ahead and, and try in certain circumstances. Now, unfortunately, I think for the, the patients that are, um, when they start seeking the information, there's so much out there. It's hard to, it's hard to sort out the, uh, you know, the good from the bad. And there's definitely a, a push for, um, in some cases to try to, to market and placate patients with the idea that they can solve everything without a surgery. 
And I just think there are some things that just are not appropriate at all to even attempt uh, with an injection only when there's clear evidence that, you know, surgery should be the indication. So that's, that's kind of a challenge. And, and I actually have to tell a lot of patients that approach us that I don't think that they're appropriate candidates for a stem cell treatment for the type of injury that they have. So, and, and these are people that are willing to, to do anything you ask them to do and pay whatever it costs to, to have the treatment, which is a little dangerous because, you know, they really need good advice. So I try to, I try to steer people in the right direction with, when things are not looking like that's the only thing that they should consider. Yeah, I've had I've had several people that have sent me messages asking for your information, and I told them, listen, the best thing that you can do is take the data that you have and get it to Roddy and let him know, let him tell you whether or not you're a good candidate for some of the things that he's working on. And I have friends like my buddy. Um, Mike Slinkard, who came in for his bow shoulder, he couldn't, he, I mean, he couldn't even pull a bow back more than, he said he could shoot one or two arrows and that was it. He was able to shoot with me by the time he came here, um, what was it, a month after, uh, I think you saw him, maybe maybe a month after. Um, yeah, that's great. Or a month and a half. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, well, there's no data showing, well, if there's someone that hundred percent could not do this for he struggled for a year or more i think with that mm-hmm. and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden it's to the point where he's able to uh to do it again and and i do know that even with me you know i needed let's just say for my bicep as the example there were three spots specifically that i was struggling with um and you know, some of them was like a severe case of tendonitis that was just daily nagging. Um, Mm -hmm. And two out of the three injection sites were like within, within a few weeks were just, it's almost like I don't even remember that, that they hurt or where they hurt. One of them still stayed, which I think was a year later, maybe I came back and we hit that second spot. And then that one took after the second round. Um, and then, I mean, literally my right elbow is just completely different. It's my, my left shoulder from surgery, which you did not have anything to do with, um, a hundred percent identifies to me now what restrictions I have in my right shoulder, which did not get worked on. Now, my right elbow area from what you've done to it is completely different than now my left elbow because the ones that I've had repaired, now I realize, oh, okay, this thing is feels like a kid again. It's ready to go. And really, the hmm. other one, you feel, you feel the age. You know, I feel age in my other joints. That's just part of getting older, I guess. But both times that I've, that I've had it... Um, we actually the process is continually changed and what i had first time second time and compared to what sharon had um was they were all different and the what you decided to do pre and post injection were also different because you're continually evolving what you're finding to work better um to make it you know accelerate the healing is that correct yeah, I mean, some of it is we're sort of 
always seeking for what can be best for the patient and what we have access to. And the more that we learn, the more that we try to incorporate. Um, and then some of it is just trying to see, you know, what's going to be best. Um, and, you know, so sometimes we're, we'll form a hypothesis and we try to see how we do. Um, I feel like almost any of the stuff that we've used, patients have responded positively to. And I won't say that every single person was completely, you know, pain-free from anything that we treated. That's, that's certainly not true. Um, but people do respond to some degree to almost any of the varieties of the biologics that we've used. Um, and so the, the more that we've tried to fine tune it, I feel like we're getting better at it. Uh, and we're also tracking our own data to try to, uh, see if what we think we're seeing is really what's happening. So that's always important is to be critical of ourselves. And, you know, even though we may feel like, oh, all my patients are doing great, we really are tracking and, and collecting information that will say, you know, how well are you doing and, and how well is a particular injury doing to a particular treatment? Then we can try to fine tune and match uh, the right uh, either product or process with each injury. Your particular thing with your elbow, um, and I was going to ask you, what other kinds of things uh, had you tried prior to what we did? Oh, man. Um, I mean, you know me. I'm pretty I'm pretty over the top with stuff. Um, obviously, icing, heat, um, A-stem, a um, lot of scraping. I've had a mm-hmm. sh- shiatsu, a lot of like, you know, had a lot of it pulled apart, which would would really work for a short period of time four or five days but then as, okay. as soon as i went to a motion like pull-ups were never an option for me i could not do those pull-ups and deadlifts if my palms were facing back towards my legs were just instantly they would be instant flare-ups um so it was um i was a little bit i guess i was constantly milking it nursing it but um mm-hmm. you know and you take an oral anti-inflammatory yeah anti-inflammatories i tried i think i tried one shot of cortisone but i knew not to okay. go over the top with that um but there's just a difference between temporary band-aids or something that works for a day or two i mean i can't yeah and and the way i look at it is you know if i go um to like I have a, a person that really tears apart all my scarring. Um, his name's Lester Phillips. He's down in Oklahoma in Tulsa. Works out of a um, works for another buddy of mine in his in his practice, but also works um, uh, with private patients at a, a place called Body Masters in let me think what town it's in. Bixby, um, Oklahoma is the actual where Body Masters is. Lester works out of there, and he he's just a master at actually taking your different muscle groups and just breaking them down and separating the fibers and realigning them. And I felt like a completely different person, but it would for those injuries that were severe, it would last for four or five days. But then as soon as I did an activity that focused on that, it would immediately be aggravated. And with this. I do those same activities every single day. So I can, I know a hundred percent. I can, I don't, 
I don't need someone to look at me and say, well, there hasn't been placebo tests done. I can look at them and say, listen, I couldn't grab 60-pound dumbbells during that time and crank out curls with them. I couldn't do pull-ups. I couldn't do deadlifts. I do pull-ups and I do pull-ups almost every day. I do deadlifts every other day. And if you've battled with like tendonitis and partial tears and tried to do those things, they're murderous. So I, I know without a shadow of a doubt, it's, it's helped me. And what you said based on Joe's new MRI on his shoulder was, was amazing too. It was confirmation. I mean, it was, you know, both of us were like, what? And, you know, that's kind of that kind of stuff. When you see that, that's the kind of stuff that makes me want to immediately go to this type of procedure in an effort to avoid getting going into surgery if possible even if it's a long shot like i feel like you know for me for me well in um, your case um in your case john the injury that you had uh it wasn't really severe enough that we would say right off the bat right you needed a surgery right and then also the level that it was based on the imaging and things like that i mean there. I wouldn't even feel a ton of confidence going in to do an operation or if we were going to do one, it would be just so much more surgery than what the imaging and and your symptoms would suggest. So for example, you have a 10% tear of your biceps tendon. Well, of course we're going to try conservative things to help that. And, but if you've gone two years or a year, however long you were going with that pain, and now I've tried everything else, and you're saying, I need to get better. What else do you have for me? And I say, well, the only thing else we got is surgery. Well, for me to go in and, and I mean, I don't even know what I would do, detach your tendon and reattach it. I mean, that doesn't make sense fundamentally. Right. The other thing is, you, and you keep, you're using this as a term that ever, all of us use, is tendonitis. But like real tendonitis is an acute injury where there's inflammatory cells present around the area. So, and a lot of these types of things, there aren't inflammatory cells because it's not really a true inflammation, it's degeneration. And when we get these wear and tear injuries, now you might flare it up and and aggravate it and cause a little inflammation, you know, at a, a certain time point. But the injury has occurred over over a long period of time, and now it doesn't even really make sense. We're trying to use anti-inflammatory medicines, either oral or topical or injectable, to treat something that isn't even inflammation. So we fundamentally weren't even going about it the right way. Yeah. But now, if we truly have our hands on something that can either by itself, so the you know, the two uh, competing philosophies about what the stem cells are doing. And I say philosophies right now because nobody actually knows what the mechanism is, the true mechanism for when and if we get healing, like what is actually occurring. And this is what we're, you know, everybody's racing to try to understand and figure out. But if we really have our hands on something that can either provide cells that then turn into the cells that we want and cause the healing, and that's the that's the lesser believed 
theory right now. Uh, or if we have cells that are secreting proteins and growth factors and these other chemicals that signal to your body to start the healing process, and this is what people uh, believe more now that this is how it's occurring, um, then, then this is awesome because all of these kinds of things that we've struggled with treating, either the conservative therapies weren't good enough or the surgeries were either too much surgery or or not really, you know, even enough to, to make it as good as we wish it was, if we can really put something in there that causes healing to happen, then that's pretty awesome. It's a, it's a great thing for us to have more things that can help our patients. It's a great thing for patients to be able to recover from some of these things that we otherwise, you know, wouldn't have had good tools to take care of. Yep. Well, let's jump. I'm going to jump into a few of these questions that people asked. Um, for if you're watching or if you're listening to the, if you're watching the podcast, this isn't a video podcast, this one anyway, um, on, let's see, it would have been, uh, April 3rd, depending on what day you're listening to this podcast. I made a post, um, I'm in a gym. I have a black and white on it shirt on. I'm pretty much doing curls. Um, this was a video I actually sent you, <clears throat> It was seven. This was on Instagram, right? Yeah, I put it on Instagram. Um, so at Knock On TV is where I put it. It was actually a video that I sent you because you asked me how I'm doing, and I said, "Well, I know you took told me to take it easy." I said, "But I'm actually wanting to know how this is, how well this is working," and I just kept pushing it and pushing it, and then you know I ended up doing sets with sixty pound dumbbells. And, um, and then at the end of the video, I actually show just how easy and kind of, you know, the procedure itself is a little bit anticlimactic you know, that people go there and like, yeah, I, didn't, I it kind is. of thought it, I thought it, it every I, time we have, we have all these, uh, you know, discussions about, you know, what we think the science is and what we're using and where it comes from. And, and people are all, are very curious about all these things. And then, uh, and then we do like a 10 second injection. <laughs> yeah, you, you scan around with the ultrasound, put that needle right in the hot spot, and shoot in the. Uh, I forgot what name me and Rogan came up with on his podcast. We were uh, we were a little bit. We hadn't seen each other in a while, so we actually had a good. <laughs> we we had shot and then decided to do the podcast. I was pretty much, I was I was feeling good. Um, nice. But I think I think we referred to it as um, the new one that you did was a PRP, and then you put stem cells in with that. So we I think we ended up calling it a PRP baby dust or something. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> I forgot baby magic. I forgot what we said it was. The first time I did it, you actually um, I came in on a day. Uh, I think the day after there was a birth at the hospital the day before and the mother signs off, signs a consent and then um, allows you guys to utilize. Um, yeah. Let's just clarify that whole process. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. One, we don't, we don't want anybody to have, uh, you know, any misunderstanding about what we're doing. And certainly everything that we have, done in our clinic and the products that we're using uh, have been uh, given clearance through the FDA. Um, there's 
There's nothing that we're doing that's outside of what is okay to do currently in the U.S. Um, and I've personally called the FDA and had discussions with their uh, their chief uh, person that's in charge of biologics to be sure that what we're doing is following the guidelines. That's number one. Number two, where the so uh, let me say also there's three main sources to uh, derive stem cells. One is from your bone marrow, and that would involve uh, making a small incision on the skin, finding a location where there's bone close to skin, and placing a large bore, sharp needle into the bone and drawing out the bone marrow. That's then spun in a centrifuge, just like the machine that you saw that we used, the PRP. And that machine can actually be used to process the bone marrow, aspirate also. Uh, It's able to do both. Um, and then the, the cells are concentrated to then be able to inject into a patient. In the U.S., it is okay on the same day to draw those cells, spin them, and then inject into a patient at the location that you're trying to treat. Uh, in other countries, they'll allow you to draw those cells out or draw the bone marrow, uh, process it, uh, and then culture the cells so they can add things uh, in a lab to the mixture that causes the cells to divide and grow and increase in their volume. Uh, and then patients come back on a different day and, and receive the injection. And that may be that may be fantastic. It may be better. Uh, we don't know yet because there's a lot of questions to be answered about all of that processing, um, but that is done in uh, other locations. Um, now, uh, adipose tissue or fat can also be harvested in a, in a procedure that's similar to like a mini liposuction and those fat cells can be processed, um, and concentrated and there's, there are stem cells present there that, that, uh, and this is another possible way that it can be derived. And then the third category is a, really a group of things and that would be, I just put that under the placental origin category. So this includes things like the amniotic fluid, which doesn't have actual stem cells, but does have uh, many cells present that can secrete the growth factors and cytokines or these proteins that can do some of this signaling for healing. Um, and then uh, it also has a number of other things present in it that can be beneficial. Uh, there's, uh, blood from the umbilical cord. There's parts of the umbilical cord and the placenta and the amniotic membrane, which is the, basically the sac that's around the baby. Now, how these are obtained is, uh, a mother would choose to donate tissue. So when, when the mom goes to her OB, the OB would give them a consent form or ask them if they're interested in participating in this. And they would, uh, if they agree, they choose to donate the tissue. At the time of the delivery, uh, these items are collected. And, and what I, I think is the most important thing for people to understand is these are things that would be thrown in the trash otherwise. They're, they're discarded. So in this case, we have been able to um, collect some of these things that otherwise would be thrown away uh, and utilize it to the benefit of patients. And there really isn't 
the same ethical concern with this as there is from the idea of embryonic stem cells, which is where they would actually take, you know, a sperm and an egg and develop this in a lab and then take those cells at the beginning of life uh, to use. And, and in our case, we don't even have the desire to use that because those cells have the ability to turn into tumors and other things that, you know, and cause problems. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the thing that is morally and ethically questionable, uh, we don't even have the desire to approach in orthopedic surgery because it's, it's got too many downsides to it. Right. The cells that we're talking about, in, in, so we would be putting these in the category of adult stem cells, um, and that is they've already gone through a process where they've uh, differentiated or changed into certain cells that can only go down a certain pathway. So they're not the beginning cells that can become anything or, or you know, grow and become a complete baby. Uh, these are cells that have already changed. They're they're on a direct pathway. They they can become, in in the case that we're talking about, the things that we care about in orthopedics. So cartilage, bone, ligament, tendon, muscle. Um, back to what I was saying earlier. Our belief previously was that the cells would go into your body and change and become the tissue that it needed to become. And now we're not, we're not certain that that actually happens. There's more of a belief that the benefit is coming from the proteins that these cells can secrete and the signaling that they can cause to happen inside your body to promote the healing process. How many, based off, based off what you've experienced with shooting, um, now that you've shot, and you kind of understand the repetition to the movements. You probably have a way better understanding now of, you know, especially when someone like me or when my buddy Mike came and we're talking about, you know, where our shoulders hurt and stuff. Obviously, you have a whole mm-hmm. new appreciation of the movements that are yeah, that are repetitive to archery. So obviously, people that are shooting tens of thousands of arrows or even thousands and thousands of arrows. Um, a year you know there's there's just naturally like you said there's gonna be wear and pain that happens that may not be something that shows up directly on an mri um Mm -hmm. so how i mean i know what i feel but what do you feel for you know for certainty when it comes to the types of movements that are involved with archery how certain are you that these types of procedures are going to be able to offer um relief for people um down the road well i i think archery happens to be a sport that is uh in a category where the injuries will be very amenable to these kinds of biologic procedures and a a lot of my feeling of this first of all starts with my experience playing baseball and having had some shoulder issues myself never to the level of needing the surgery uh but certainly I'm familiar with those aches and pains and those spots where, you know, any kinds of movements can aggravate. Um, and baseball guys are sort of hyper aware of their shoulders uh, because of the amount of time we spend uh, preparing, you know, in practice and then, you know, warm up trying to throw and then all the different kinds of uh, throws that you make both in the field and then uh, all the the effort and force that happens uh 
for a pitcher. Uh, and I played outfield and pitched. So I, I was kind of all over the place with, uh, the different kinds of things that happen on a baseball field. What it led to was, you know, various things going on with my shoulder at different points. Um, and then also using all the things that you have to do and use, uh, to get it better. So one of the things that struck me when we were discussing it, uh, was just thinking about, you know, what kind of preparation guys are even doing before they get out there. <clears throat> so I tend to think in terms of how can we be preventative, first of all, you know, rather than, uh, reactive and trying to, you know, treat things once they've happened, but can we, uh, give guys information to help them have a, even if it's, even if it's short, even if it's five or 10 minutes of prep beforehand that potentially could keep them out of trouble with their shoulder. Um, and then, you know, the, a lot of the, even though the actions are not similar in terms of throwing versus shooting, uh, a lot of the, the muscle groups that are used and things are similar. Uh, it's just, you know, different, uh, at different speeds. So I think, uh, you know, your question is, are the injuries that occur in archery, you know, can they be treated with these types of things and not surgery in some cases? Uh, definitely. Uh, certainly there are things that if they get, you know, too far down the line, um, then surgery might be, um, best option in terms of making sure that it gets completely better uh, but then you know our other interest is how can we use stem cells to augment our treatment and can that help make our outcomes better can it help things heal faster we're not necessarily sure but more importantly can they heal more completely so that there isn't a repeat injury or there aren't there aren't ongoing problems and constant reminders that somebody's had a surgery yeah well do you think uh Maybe let's jump into a few of these questions from some of the people, and uh, you know, from this post, and I think it'll help. Um, you know, I think some of some of whether it will or won't. I think some of those questions, specific, more specifically, can can come out of these questions. Um, the first question here is from N Eight Pack. Uh, he must have an eight pack. Um, he said he's had two surgeries to repair his shoulders after dislocations um, mm. in high school. Um, and he said he's seen little to no improvement as far as his pains and his numbness when lifting. Um, he says, is this something that he should look into? Uh, there definitely could be some benefit. There's there's a whole lot of questions that would have to be answered uh, in terms of, uh, you know, potentially why he didn't do well after surgery from a shoulder dislocation. Uh, it's a thing that we treat commonly here because I see tons of football kids and wrestling and, uh, and baseball and other situations where guys, you know, are diving and colliding and other things. Um, for the most part, young guys with a shoulder dislocation do very well from the stabilization surgery uh, that we do. Um, but if there's situations where uh, either a number of dislocations have happened before somebody gets to the surgery, uh, or if they've had a repeat injury, you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons why they may not be doing well afterwards. So. I, we have to put the whole picture together in terms of, you know, what's the complete history of the injuries, 
um, look at the imaging, do the physical exam, and then kind of look at uh, what's going on in terms of the surgeries that were done. Um, now, uh, depending on that, some of this stuff, I've seen people respond well with just adding a biologic injection at this point. Uh, in some cases, it may be that there's uh, a reason why somebody's still unstable and can be causing pain. And sometimes, interestingly, when people have some patients, especially our young patients, uh, may not feel the sense of instability, like their shoulders loose or moving around. They just feel it as pain. So, you know, it takes kind of putting all of this together to uh, to make the best plan for each particular person. Yep. Okay. So the first step, really, so I didn't. I didn't mean to give like a vague question. No, I to want that question. I want you to. Uh, but there's in his particular case, there's a there's a whole bunch of things that we'd have to know to give him the best advice. Right, and that's going to be the case really with anybody. Is um, yeah. Every, I mean, we try to be individual with each case, obviously. Yeah. Um, some things are common, and, and there's a pretty specific path to, uh, and the steps you take to get it better. Uh, in the case of recurrent shoulder instability, and, and so the, the first thing I would say is that anybody that has a problem like that has dislocated their shoulder multiple times, and someone is offering them as a, the only treatment a simple injection, I would caution you that that may not be enough to, to solve the issue in that case. Because in this case, we're talking about a mechanical problem, right? Uh, the shoulder is loose because something is torn or stretched, um, and other factors can come into play. But you need to restore those proper mechanics, and, and in that case, it can only be done surgically. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Same thing, like, consider, like, an ACL injury. Um, you know, if, you're, if the main ligament in your knee is torn and your, your knee is loose, an injection is not going to solve that. We don't have any information at this point that that, that alone could do that. And I've actually seen some, uh, I've seen some information on the internet uh, suggesting that a patient could heal an ACL injury from an injection, and even uh, a patient who is an elite tennis girl, uh, and and her story was highlighted all over a particular website. Uh, talking about how her knee healed and the doctor tested her and her knee was completely stable after her injection. Well, she came to our office after she wasn't getting better and every time she tried to change directions on the tennis court, her knee gave out. And when I examined her, it was very obvious that her ACL was torn and it was not healed. Uh, but, you know, these folks with their exam and then even a repeat image where... The ACL didn't look normal, but it did look pretty close. Um, but her exam was obvious. So we ended up doing the arthroscopy on her, and the ACL was sort of laying on top of the PCL. Uh, and so, like, at first glance, it kind of looked like a normal ACL. But when you examined further, you saw that it wasn't at all attached to the bone. It wasn't attached to her femur. It was showing so, the other one that it was laying on top of? Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. sitting there, and you could see the ligament, but it wasn't attached to the bone. So there was no way it was doing the job of the ligament. Right. So that was a really – it was an interesting case for me to see and just kind of see that whole process of, you know, this young girl went, had a, had a stem cell injection because, you know, somebody told her, you know, 
this is all you need. You don't want to go through a surgery because all these bad things can happen with surgery and blah, 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 blah. And it was really a disservice to her because, you know, she spent over a year and a half not getting better. Uh, and she could have been already done with the whole process if she just, you know, had the proper advice from the beginning. Yeah, that's actually, I do want to touch on that. Um, if you're a candidate where you do need surgery, um, I can tell you that one of the best things that I did was I really did my research and talked to different doctors and also their patients about the work that they did when it comes to surgery because the first doctor that I saw when I had my first MRI with my shoulder, I mean, he literally came in looked at me and said he he like actually reached out and he shook my hand he said wow he said you did an amazing job uh tearing that shoulder apart he's like i've never quite seen something like that and i'm like okay and he goes yep he goes we're uh he goes they got you scheduled in we'll you know we'll get you in next week for surgery and um you know we'll get you you know get you out of there that next day you know maybe that night and then uh and then, you know, get you in rehab in about six weeks or eight weeks and uh, kind of get you rolling. I'm like, oh, I said, well, I, can't, I shoot a bow for a living and I'm, you know, I'm into archery. He's just, oh, yeah. He goes, you know, you, we'll get you straightened right up. It's pretty, you know, we'll be able to get this done. And he, he literally wouldn't let me talk to him about my concerns about, you know, one, I'm a pro athlete. This is literally my livelihood. So... It's not as sure. simple as you just tell me to come in next week. You're going to cut this thing up and really not explain what's going on. And um, and then I went to another guy, and it was a little bit better, but it still wasn't as good. And then um, and then I ended up going to uh, the doctor that I used, which um, he works with um, Doctor Andrews. Which I think did you have you done some stuff with Andrews? Out of Atlanta? Uh, the place where I trained is uh, American Sports Medicine Institute, and that is in Birmingham. It was started by Dr. Andrews and Dr. Lemack, um, and I trained with Dr. Lemack. Okay. So okay. I wasn't specifically with uh, Dr. Andrews. And that's, I mean, obviously he's known more specifically for baseball guys, um, but having the right person do that surgery when it comes time is seriously um, something that you want to do your homework in. Um, you do surgeries yep. as well. And I know f what opened my eyes about it was when I was in my, at the time, I think it was called like accelerated therapy or something. I don't know what the name of it was, but you know, my doctor literally sent the physical therapist here at our local therapy place, the orders of what they wanted me to do when I came in and I remember sure. over the course of weeks, I was just literally doing these same repetitive things. And the other people were just moving on to these next movements and next stretches and already into weights. And And I remember saying, um, they're really doing things a lot different. And they looked at me and they said, your process is as methodical as, as it gets. And they said, but your doctor we never see his patients back here and they said these other doctors we do he they said we i guarantee you we'll see one of these two guys over here back 
they'll end up getting a surgery again. And from that, you know, right then I thought, okay, I made the right decision. So even if it's something that you know that you need surgery, um, I would urge any listeners to, uh, it's easy to, to contact Dr. McGee, get him, uh, get an MRI over there so that he can look at that MRI and then, uh, at least give you a consultation of, you know, whether your surgery were, you know, sometimes you may tell them, like you said, listen, this stem cell is going to be probably a waste of the time. Like, you know, if this is a full disconnect, we need to do this the right way. Um, and then, you know, seek someone that can give you professional advice. Um, and at, some of the stuff that I do, I do, I actually pay for out of pocket because by the time I factor in, you know, co-pays and meeting my deductibles, some things it's easier to just pay out of pocket. And I found that coming to you guys in Vegas um, is actually cheaper than a lot of the local stuff that I've tried to pay cash for around here. Um, but I'm going to give out your number. If any of you listening, um, I'll put the number as well in, um, in the description of the podcast, but the number to the office is 702-475-4390. Um, let me jump into another question here. This is from Stefan Jackman. He's saying, please explain how PRP, um, can fix either a labral tear, um, uh, he's saying cam impingement or osteoarthritis in the hip. Um, so I'm, I'm just reading these questions. Some of these stuff, some of these things I don't know, and maybe some of them don't apply. So it'd be it'd be good to identify what does and what doesn't. Yeah, I don't know that uh, PRP has been shown to heal a labral tear. Uh, and I'm not sure if he means the labrum in his shoulder or labrum in his hip because there's actually one in each. Um, I don't think there's evidence to show that that would heal uh, that particular injury. Um, that, again, goes into kind of the mechanical category for me. And and there's times when that either needs to be kind of cleaned up or actually repaired. Um, in terms of arthritis, there is a study out of the University of Missouri on injections of PRP for knee arthritis, uh, but there hasn't been anything published yet for hip arthritis. Um, are you guys so, do are you guys doing any like direct stem cell injections like immediately like post operation when people get a like a labral repair? Are you doing injections yeah, immediately? And that that helps all the time promote. We, we do it. We we do it. them with uh, with surgery, or some patients have had surgery. Uh, in other parts of the country and then come to us following their surgery to to follow up with a biologic injection to try to augment their recovery. And I would and, assume and that would be for what you mentioned For what you mentioned before, John, just uh, for your listeners, um, we have the systems in place where if somebody wants to set up a phone consultation or have us review their imaging and, and offer advice about uh, their particular injury, we can we do handle that. We're, we're contacted by folks all the time, so uh, is there, that is something is there that we a cost can do. for that? Uh, yeah, so we charge a hundred dollars for imaging review. Um, so, like the MRI, somebody sends me their MRI and they want me to just look at their MRI for them. Um, and for a phone consultation, uh, we charge two fifty, um, and that would include. If we, if we call and have a phone consultation, that would include reviewing the imaging. So those aren't separate charges. 
Um, and then anything that somebody spends in terms of that, if they actually ended up coming to Las Vegas for treatment, we would apply that towards any charges for their treatment. Okay. Okay. So some, you know, some people have, uh, kind of gotten upset with me, uh, you know, because, you know, if we've talked about, you know, charges and things like that, but, um, initially I was literally like emailing every single person back and calling them and talking and it, it just became to a point where I couldn't keep up with that and I, I couldn't do it all day long. Uh, so we had to create a system for it. So okay. I hope people can understand that. Yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, I, as much as I try to get to everybody, I still get to someone. I still get to a certain amount of people every day, but it just it all depends on how your questions come in versus how I'm looking at them because I can't – I literally – there's not enough minutes in a day. If all I did was sat here and answer questions, there's still people I would never get to. So I try to dedicate a certain amount of time to, to this stuff, but yeah, I can't, I can't do it all day long. Um, next question here is, uh, well, there was a question asking, um, if it would be an alternative for shoulder surgery. So this, that would totally for you who asked that, uh, timber ghost, TGK, he's pretty much already answered that several times. You gotta, you're gonna have to, you know, get your information to them for a consultation on that. Um, let's see here. This, this is kind of a playing a devil's advocate in a way. It's positive and negative. Um, I shouldn't say it's negative, but it shows kind of both sides. Um, Jeff Dot Locher saying um, that he had PRP in his left elbow and it was fine for the first ones, but then. After a while, his muscles tightened up, and he had to uh, to go to therapy to get the muscles to actually release. The doctor said he had never okay. seen it before, um, but he said, with that said, it was the best thing that he had ever done for his arm. So, mm. does that kind of come down to you know similar to like my first injection? I think did we do exercise post? You had me do aerobic post injection. I think you did a. You did a little light spin on the on the bike pr- uh, prior to your injection. One of them I knew it was prior for quite a while. I thought that was the second one. I thought the first one it was after. But now you're doing. They're seeing some um, research with like um, heat, like sauna um, is actually showing some some effects too so i think some of the some of the pre and post procedures for those injections probably depending on when he got it or how the doctor did it i guess could have had yeah and i would say like almost any patient that we see that's being treated for pain or some type of orthopedic injury they're going to benefit from therapy after whether it's you know a biologic injection or surgery and it's such a critical part of the recovery, especially with surgery. I mean, it's almost, you know, it's almost more important than whatever I do, honestly. I mean, we can, we can do our, our bit, but if the patient doesn't get proper therapy um, and they don't get that motion and they don't get, you know, strength training uh, in the right way, uh, they're not going to have as good of a recovery. And with these injections, the therapy for us, it has to be a part of it. And the reason is that anytime you have pain or you have an injury, there's going to be dysfunction in your, in that limb. There's going to be problems with motion and there's going to be problems with, 
you know, strength imbalance. And if we don't have a good physical therapist that takes you through that and adds to what we've done, you just can't come into an office. And I, I see this promoted all over the country. You can't just come into somebody and get a needle stuck in you and walk out. And it's like, you know, hallelujah, you're cured. I mean, there's a whole bunch of factors that go into the complete recovery. And I just think, you know, I've always been appreciative of the therapist that we've worked with. And, and I think it's a critical part of the recovery. So I, I wanted to make that point uh, and make it a point of emphasis. Yep. Um, well, one more question here. I'll, I'll ask one more. Um, and it was from a guy specifically saying, um, it was from Phil Dotstern. He's saying, I've got severe bicep tendonitis and therapy just isn't helping much. Um, honestly, dude, I can, I can tell you from, from my experience, I dealt with that and it's murderous, um, especially in the bicep because you use it, even if you're trying to do chest or shoulders or whatever, just grabbing those dumbbells and getting them into the position, you're just continually aggravating that bicep tendon nonstop. And for me, I saw big benefits, but I guess, um, I'll let you say what your thoughts are too, Roddy. Uh, I guess the first question would be if he's talking about the biceps tendon at the elbow or the shoulder. So, and they're, they can both be problematic. Um, in the case of the, the long head of the biceps tendon at the shoulder, uh, it's something that we see and take care of almost every day. It's a very common thing. It's something that I've dealt with in both of my shoulders, uh, especially as a thrower when I was younger. Um, and the, there's a number of things that we do to try to help it. Um, however, when it gets to the point where either it's a, a degenerative tearing of the tendon uh, or if it's associated with a uh, labral tear because the biceps tendon in the shoulder attaches to the top of the labrum inside the shoulder joint. Uh, sometimes those are the ones that we have to go ahead and take the surgery and move the biceps tendon. So that uh, procedure is called a tenodesis. That's where we release it from its attachment and we tack it down to the humerus. Uh, and that keeps the, the length tension on the, the muscle, uh, but it removes the offending uh, pain generator. Yep. Well, I know for me it sure did work, and mine was all down low. So if you got the high one, then you're in Roddy's ballpark. If you got the low one, you're in my archery arena. So, uh, all right. Well, I think uh, I think this was a pretty sweet podcast. You got anything you want to ask me, Doctor McGee? Uh, well, I hadn't actually talked to you about Sharon, but it sounds like uh, she's recovering pretty well. Yeah, she's. Um, I mean, she's still dealing with, like you said. There's, uh, you know, physical continual physical therapy is showing like continual progress, but the difference is she was not making any progress before, and the more she tried to to go again. It, she would see regression more than progression. Um, so, yeah. so, I mean, it's not like, um, and what was it, three weeks ago she was there? It's not like she's literally walking around and dancing around and saying that she doesn't have any pain at all. She's doing, she's still doing her physical therapy, but the difference is she's actually able to, um, 
to do like multiple classes right now. Um, you know, okay, good. So she's able to do yoga again. She's doing some like um, different interval interval training classes, and then also some like toning classes and stuff with weights. And she's nice. able she's able to do them, and she wasn't before. Um, each night, you know, she's like, you know, feel a little bit sore there, but like you said, you know, when you're talking. 12, 14 months of there being limited functionality and also compensation from the other side because you're not functioning, so you're almost like crutching yourself. Um, then it's, uh, then, you know, I think it's, it's a natural process and I probably should have done a little better job rehabbing mine. Uh, but I think in the end, I'm happy with where it was. Maybe I would have maybe I would have not needed the the second round if I would have kind of milked it a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was pretty happy with how you uh, progressed after yours, maybe even faster than I expected. Yeah, well, I think I got after it a little fast. But that so that actually uh made me think uh with our own, you know, our other patients that um that uh, some activity following is beneficial. So I think we would have been, prior to you showing me that, I think it would have been a lot more conservative with my therapy you know, uh, protocols and things like that. Um, but we've actually been a little more aggressive since your experience and, and the patients have responded and, they're, and everybody's always happy that they can get back into stuff a little quicker. Yeah, yeah, it, that's the biggest frustration. Um, but also probably the, the area where you got to be the smartest too, is not trying to rush, um, recovery because I know I was super cautious with my shoulder. Some maybe say I was too cautious, but man, am I happy with it now? Um, and really I realized that that extra couple months that I put into it is really meaningless. Mm -hmm. It flew by and it's not like, it's not like it wasn't worth it. So, uh, well, hey man, I know you got to get rolling. Um, you got, you know, it's almost noon. Well, what is it? Ten there? Or noon? Uh, quarter eleven. Yeah. Um, I wasn't right at all. So, um, <laughs> yeah. No, but thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Always enjoy the conversation and. Oh yeah. Uh, appreciate it. Appreciate it. And we'll see each other when we uh, when we team up for Hunger Games, man versus woman. <laughs> Definitely. I think uh I think your wife's invited Sharon out to California for a a ladies weekend. <laughs> that could get that they could Yeah, they're just maybe they're just taken off. Like they don't even we're not even like you invited. know, they don't even exist anymore. I wonder if they're doing training. They're probably doing like handgun training or something <laughs> and just telling us that they're going to hang out. Close combat training. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I appreciate you, brother. And uh, thanks for everything. Knock on, everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.